friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. We're now ready to go to God's Word, and so may I invite you to please rise from your seats. We'll now take a look at James chapter 5 and verses 1 to 6. At this time, we will all read together aloud. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted. And the rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you, cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this lovely morning, O oh God. We thank you because it is a time wherein we could gather together and remember all that you've done for us. And today, once again, we remember your cross. We remember the nails on your hands. We remember, Lord, the nails on your feet. We remember the crown of thorns. We remember the blood that you shed for each and every one of us. And we remember that the wrath of God was satisfied because you chose to pay the penalty of our sins. And so our hearts are filled with gratitude. Our hearts are filled with praise and worship that we could come and what a wonderful privilege to sit at your feet, O oh God, to worship you and to listen to your word. Your words are spirit and they are life. And so we pray, O oh God, that you might minister to us in a very special way. I pray, O oh God, that every heart and every mind will be opened. And Lord, for myself, allow me to be a conduit of blessing to your people as you anoint me, as I speak to your people, O oh God, give me the voice of a prophet. Lord, give me the thoughts, give me the words that would truly touch and warm the hearts of your people, even rebuke them, O oh God, that changes might take place, that repentance might take place, that your name might be honored and glorified. Lord, we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. And amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. This is now part two, the last installment of the sermon series we began last weekend, which we entitled The Poor Rich. Now, just to give you a little review, we said that there are two kinds of rich people. We have those who are rich, rich, and we have those who are poor, rich. Obviously, there's some wordplay here. The rich, rich are those who recognize the hand of God. They recognize the sovereignty of God. They recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. And because of that, their hearts are filled with gratitude. They, understands that, they understand rather that they are only stewards of the manifold grace of God. They do not own anything. They are simply managers of what God has given. And because of that, they are righteous in their dealings with people. They do not cheat on people. They are not dishonest. They are men and women of integrity. On the other hand, and in contrast, the poor rich are those who have acquired money through unrighteous means. And as we saw last time around, God guarantees that they will have a miserable life. Everything that they do catches the attention of God. And I think it's very important for us to note this because a lot of times we imagine 
that God is absent. There are times wherein God is absent in our lives, and that is never true. He is watching us 24-7. He is there in everything that we do and everywhere we are. And He is a keen observer, not only of what we do, but even of the motives and intentions of our hearts. Now, last weekend, we tackled the first two points, and so we were not able to wrap up everything. I intend to wrap up everything today. But again, just as a review, let me talk about the two points which we had already completed last time around. We talked about the coming mysteries of the rich. And again, as I mentioned to you, this is guaranteed. This is not a maybe. This is going to happen exactly as God tells it in the book of James. And we talked about the losses of the rich, all right? We talked about their temporal loss in verses 2 to 3, but we also talked about their eternal loss in verse 3, and this is the greater loss. As the Lord Jesus Christ said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? By the way, just a little bit of theology this morning before we head off to our sermon proper. I'd like you to know that every person who has rejected Christ goes into a place which is called Hades. Now, Hades is not yet hell. Hades, as defined by Bible scholars, is the temporary place of torments. So in truth, nobody is in hell right now. Everybody who rejects Christ goes to this place of torments. Now, this place of torments is very similar to the lake of fire. All right? You are tormented there as well with fire. Now, when will the final judgment take place? Well, the final judgment takes place in what is called as the great white throne judgment. If you recall our previous sermon, what did we say? We said that even unbelievers will have their own resurrection. And when they are resurrected, they will be judged by God and they will eventually be thrown into the lake of fire. Question. Does the lake of fire end? Is there an expiration date for the fires in hell? No. The Bible says it is an everlasting fire. And some people might say, Pastor Mel, don't talk about hell today. It's Father's Day. Give us a break. Well, friends, let me just tell you this. The one who preached the most about hell is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And I think if we are going to model our ministries after the Lord Jesus Christ, we will have to talk about hell. Now, definitely, it's not something really pleasant for people to talk about. But then again, we have to tell people about the reality of eternal judgment. Because some people might take their sins lightly. And of course, we're going to talk about the sins of the rich and they might take these things lightly and not be mindful that there is eternal judgment awaiting those who have rejected Christ. And I'm here this morning to remind you that there is going to be an eternal judgment. And we need to be warned. We need to know if we are really in the Lord. And as I mentioned to you, the timing of that is going to be during the great white throne judgment. Now, let's take a look at what you and I will be discussing this morning. We're going to talk about the sins of the rich in verses 4 to 6. And here, what were the specific sins that they committed? Obviously, there were probably more, but these were the things that were highlighted by James. The first sin that we find here in verse 4 is that they withheld the pay of their laborers, all right? We're going to expound on that even more. And then verse 5 tells us they, that they were living for themselves only. So they had no thoughts of God. There was no fear of the Lord. They had no compassion when it came to other people. And that's why the only thing they thought about was to satisfy themselves. They were buying things for themselves, enjoying all the pleasures of life, 
But as I mentioned to you, they didn't care about other people, most especially the people who were working under them. And the third and final sin that we find here is found in verse 6, which is the oppression of the righteous poor. They were not just oppressing poor people. They were, in fact, oppressing very righteous people. And my assumption here is that the righteous poor here happen to be believers in Christ. Now, again, let me just remind you, this letter was supposedly written for believers. And so it is possible that some of the poor rich that we are talking about here were in fact professing believers. But somehow their actuations belied their profession. It seemed like the reality of their salvation was not really genuine. And again, it is always good to evaluate ourselves, to examine ourselves. And, and the Bible continually does this. You, you, you take a look at 1 John. John wants us to examine our faith, whether it is genuine. You go to Paul in his letters to the Corinthians. He wants us to examine whether we are really in the faith. And I think James was doing the same thing. He was trying to let us examine whether we are truly in the faith. So let's now head off and let's talk about the sins of the rich. And as I mentioned to you, the first sin that they have committed is that they withheld the pay of the labors. Let's read verse 4 at this time. It says, Behold, the pay of the labors who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, that's how it's pronounced in the Greek. It's actually a transliteration from a Hebrew word. But then again, take note that it begins with the word behold. And, you know, when you see that word in the Bible, it means you better pay attention. This is something really, really important to God. God is saying this is an exclamation mark. This is something that you need to pay attention to because obviously there were a lot of people in church that were indifferent to this situation. And James was saying that cannot be. We cannot be indifferent and apathetic to this sin. We have to pay attention. God is taking notice of these things that we are doing. And so what exactly were they doing? Well, first of all, it says here, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you. So we're talking about rich people here who had employed certain people under them. And these laborers had worked. They had worked really, really hard. And obviously, when you work hard at the end of the day, or on the 15th, or on the 30th, you are looking forward to receive your pay. Because behind, behind all of these things, obviously, is your desire to provide food on the table for your family. Now, again, let's take note that the employees here, the, employ the laborers that are mentioned here by James were in fact very poor. And so we can just imagine that this was probably a hand-to-mouth kind of existence. They were living at bare minimum. And so you withhold something from them, it would definitely affect the way they live. It will affect the quality of their lives. It will affect their sustenance. And during that time, by the way, most poor people actually took loans. Maybe sometimes from their own relatives, maybe sometimes from their own friends. Now think about the fact that if you withhold the pay of your laborers, it's going to affect their lifestyle. It's going to affect the way they live. And if they took some loans from some people, it is possible that if they are unable to pay, they would even be thrown into prison. Those were the kinds of realities that actually took place during those times. 
And also, please remember that during those times, slavery was still very much in fashion. So when people got to be really, really poor, and, and this is something, by the way, you can check out in the Old Testament. When people became really, really poor, sometimes they would go into extreme measures and even sell themselves into slavery, if only to provide for their children, if only to provide for their spouses. That is exactly what they did. Now think about this as well. What if the man in the household gets thrown into prison? Guess what happens to the wife? Guess what happens to the children? Well, actually, what would happen to them is they would become practically like widows and orphans because women at that time did not have the same rights as the women have right now. The women at that time were largely illiterate and they were uneducated. They were simply left to do household chores and so they never went to school. They never got their education. And that being the case, obviously, because they do not understand a lot of things, they cannot fend for themselves. They cannot earn a living for themselves. That's why if the man gets thrown into prison, the wife begins to live like a widow. And she is at the mercy of other people. She would probably have to beg and take some more loans. And what if her children are not big enough? What if her children are, are young? Then they would live like orphans. And they would probably be begging in the streets as well. Maybe the mother would have no choice but, but to sell them into slavery. Now, in modern-day times, we know that desperate situations call for desperate measures. And sometimes, in the case of some people, some, some women might even be tempted to sell their own flesh and even become prostitutes for the simple reason that they have to survive, not that it is right to do such things, but perhaps because of the desperate situation they are in and wanting to be able to provide for their own children, they will do something that is probably even contrary to their own values. So friends, this was not something that was to be taken lightly. That is why the word behold appears in this situation. God is mad. God is angry that this was even happening in church. God was angry that this was happening on people who were claiming to be believers, people who were claiming to be Christians, people who were claiming to be born again. And yet, it belied the way in the way they were treating their people. Their actuations belied their profession. And so this was really a very sad thing that was taking place in the church. These poor people could not even buy the bare necessities of life. After much blood, sweat, and tears, they just realized they had labored in vain. And friends, here I believe the Lord appeals to our compassion. Sometimes it is so difficult on our part to commiserate and empathize with other people for the simple reason that probably we have had much in our lives. We have never experienced lack in our lives. And let me just tell you this. Sometimes the Lord will allow seasons of lack in your life, seasons of inadequacy, Seasons wherein you do not have much. And during those times, obviously, we become uncomfortable in those situations because we're not used to that. You are not used to not having food on the table. We're not used to not having much. And sometimes it causes us to become insecure and it causes us to, to be desperate, sometimes even depressed probably. Well, let me tell you this. Sometimes you need to welcome those times. 
You need to embrace those times because, friends, there is nothing hidden before God. And let me just tell you this. Everything that happens in our lives has a purpose and has a reason. When God blesses us with much prosperity, let me tell you this. There is a reason why God prospers and blesses you. And it's not because He just simply wants you to satisfy your own pleasures. He blesses you so that you might become a blessing to other people. And so when you suffer as well, there is a purpose that God lays out for you. And it is probably so that you would have more compassion with people. I recall sharing to, we just came, my wife and I just served our two ministries, we served our worship team and we served our couples ministry. They both had a retreat and the only space we had in between was one day. And so we served them. And with the couples ministry, I got to share some of the difficulties that I experienced as a young boy growing up. I was so open to them, and, and because I wanted them also to find encouragement and hope, I shared to them the testimony of my family. It was a dysfunctional family at the beginning, but I thank God for His redemptive grace because that brought about reconciliation between my mom and my dad. But there was a time when my father left home, and it was not a good time for us. You see, as a family, we, we always had this roller coaster ride financially and economically. There were, there were good seasons. There were, there were seasons of prosperity. There were, there were times wherein we had four vehicles at one time. But there were times wherein we would just practically scrape for, for, for food on the table. And I recall specifically the time when my father left home. As I mentioned to you, it was a bad time. We didn't have anything. We didn't have much. And so I did the best thing I could do at that time, which was play basketball. And I was involved in betting games using my shooting skills. Thankfully, I was good enough to be able to shoot the ball a lot of times so that I got a lot of coins. I don't know if you're familiar with the betting game Piso Piso, wherein you just go around the court and you pick spots there and you, you bet, you put money there. And so I, I did that and, and because I shot the ball most of the time, I would come home bringing those coins. And my mother would just smile because we would have food on the table. I also recall the time when my wife and I came here. We were local missionaries. We were from Manila and we came here and we didn't have anything. I had, I had no salary to depend on. We were just simply depending on the grace and the mercy of God. We never, ever advertised our needs. Nobody could point a finger on me and say, well, you asked money from me or you, you asked, uh, asked something from me. Nobody can point a finger. We were willing to serve God whether in feasting or in fasting. And boy, there was a lot of fasting during our first two years, most especially. The staple food that we had at that time was ngoyong. It was practically ngoyong. I mean, every day it was ngoyong practically. And we would meet ngoyong, Mr. Ngoyong, it's you again. You know, after, after two years... I began to hate Ngoyong, and I never wanted to see Ngoyong ever again. I don't want to see you again. But praise God, right now I'm developing an appetite for Ngoyong again. In fact, one, I was preaching yesterday about this, and one member of the worship team said, Pastor Mel, we just had Ngoyong last night. Well, I don't know if that's trying to, to whet your appetite right now. But friends, you know what? I don't regret those times. Because those times have, have made me understand what it is to have lack. It has made me understand what people are so desperate for. That people have the bare minimum, the bare necessities in life. And yet sometimes we don't care when we have much when we're enjoying a lot of things, we forget the poor. 
We even forget the poor in our church. We, we tend to neglect them. And that is simply not right. And that's why here, James was greatly concerned. And so going back once again, it says, Behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields. Now, the word mowed here, interestingly, is in the aorist tense in the Greek. Now, what does this mean? Well, it signifies that the work was complete already. It was done. Everything was finished. It was delivered. Everything was, was done already. And so there was no reason for the money or for the pay to be withheld. I can understand sometimes the reason why people withhold the full payment because the work has not been done. But here James is saying, you have no reason to withhold the pay of these laborers because they did the work. They completed the work. This was blood, sweat, and tears. They delivered everything to you. Everything was finished. Everything was completed. And you have not given them their pay. What is even more interesting is if you take a look at the word fields here, we're not talking about a small piece of land or just a little lot. We're talking about vast hectares of land. We're talking about, we're talking about vast and extensive fields that these laborers have worked on. So think about them toiling under the heat of the sun. Sometimes probably even getting dehydrated. And sometimes they still have to work under the rain. And, and whatever weather there was, they were still working. They were at it because they wanted to deliver the work to you so that it would be completed. So that it would be finished. And, and they are there at your doorstep. And they have empty hands and, and they're asking you, where's my pay? And for some reason, which obviously are not legitimate reasons, these rich people would say, I can't pay. Now, we do not know the kind of justification that they made so that they would not be able to pay these people. But they obviously manipulated the situation such that these people remained unpaid. Friends, let me just tell you this. Our God requires faithfulness in our dealings. We cannot be cheats. We cannot be people who cheat on people. Because if we do that, God pays attention. And you and I know that chastisement is on the way. Miseries are on our way because we cannot escape the justice of God. Let me share to you the story of two farmers. Both of them, by the way, were going to church. One man faithfully went to church every Sunday. He also maintained the practice of having family devotions each morning, even when treasures and other hired hands were guests at his tables. They, they still continued on with their devotionals. However, on one occasion, a helper returned to his house to buy from him some syrup. As the farmer poured it out of his gallon measuring pail, guess what happened? A false bottom fell to the ground. He was cheating on people. Now that quickly went out to the neighborhood and he lost his reputation. People knew he was a fake. He was not a genuine Christian. In the same neighborhood lived another farmer, also a faithful church member who sold his eggs in town each week. Sometimes he did not have enough to supply all his customers, so he would go to his neighbor and he would get what he needed. No matter how late the hour or how stormy the weather, he would always climb the hill to the neighbor's home that same day to pay him the exact amount he had received for the eggs. Now, when he was told by his neighbor that he did not need to make a special trip, listen to his reply. I want to pay you tonight because I might die 
before the morning, or the house might burn and the money be lost. I want to square up everything before going to bed each night. That man, by the way, has been dead for many, many years already, and yet people are still talking about him because he was a man of integrity. He was a man who was honest. He was a man who walked his talk. And friends, this is what the Bible wants. This is what God wants to make out of all of us. Uh, remember what I mentioned last Sunday, that sometimes when we think about rich people, we're thinking about millionaires and we're thinking about billionaires. Again, let me just remind you, when the Bible talks about the rich, it's talking about those people who have more than what they need. So if you've got a savings account, you qualify as rich, all right? You might say you're poor. And it's funny, you know, some people sometimes say, you know what, I don't have money. I don't have money. I don't have money. And then next thing you know, they have a new car. And you're wondering, I thought you didn't have money. Or they buy their latest cell phone or whatever. And friends, again, let me just remind you, the rich that are mentioned here in the Scripture are, are those who have more than enough. So if you happen to have a savings account, you're rich according to the Bible. That's why we cannot say, well, this does not relate to me. There's no significance to this message. No, this message is for you. This message is for you. And sometimes some people try to manipulate situations such that, you know, they try to get one over another. Let me tell you the story of one overworked employee who simply wanted a race because he had been working really hard and his work was excellent. So he goes to his boss and he says, boss, can I just ask you for a race? You know, here's what, here's what the boss said. With an air of amazement, the employer exploded, got angry. He said, why? I shouldn't be paying you at all. Look at your record. You work eight hours a day. That's, that's one-third of 24 hours. Even in a year of 366 days, that means only 122 days of work. Now, follow me closely. Since you don't put in time on Saturdays or Sundays, deduct another 104 days. And, and then you subtract 14 days vacation and then four paid holidays. And the number of your working hours is reduced to zero. Smart. I mean, how was he able to twist this? For this person to think that he didn't work at all. But this is the kind of reasoning some people have. And so he goes back to his, his employee and he says, And you won the race. You worked zero work hours. Distortion of the truth and bad logic deprived this hard-working man of the pay and even the race that he rightfully deserved. By the way, the interesting thing here, if you go back again to the Greek, is that the injustice that was done here was not mere delay. All right? Because we're probably thinking maybe the pay was delayed. No, actually, no. The Greek is telling us, us here that there was no delay. In fact, it was a default. There was no payment that was made actually. So we're not even talking about a little delay. By the way, delaying the pay of people is bad in itself. It's already a sin. And that will already incur the anger and the wrath of God. But we're not even talking about a slight delay of pay here. We're talking about a default. They were not paid at all. So where did they go? Where will they run to? How will they provide for their families? This kind of an injustice is like a cry that reaches the throne of God. We cannot do this because our God is a gracious God. You know how gracious God is? 
Do you think that God blesses only the believers? Do you think that God blesses only Christians? No. You know what the Bible says? God makes the rain to fall both on the righteous and on the unrighteous. He makes the sun shine both on the righteous and the unrighteous. God doesn't leave anybody out. It doesn't really matter whether you are a believer or an unbeliever. God is a gracious and generous and loving and compassionate God. And if God is like that and we are created in His image, shouldn't we follow His steps? Shouldn't we be doing the right thing? The cry of the oppressed reaches the ears of God. God knows. And as I mentioned to you, it is funny how we conduct our manner of life as if God is deaf and as if God is blind. No, friends, He knows. He knows everything. There is nothing that is hidden in the eyes of God. Just read Psalm 139. My wife expounded on Psalm 139. The knowledge of God, of us, is so intimate and so personal that we cannot hide from the very presence of God. Now, it's also interesting here that the title that God uses is the Lord of the Sabbath, all right? I, I thought this was Sabbath, but then I checked again, and I found out that the Greek actually has a different meaning. It is actually the Greek transliteration of a Hebrew word meaning armies, all right? So if you do a literal translation here, and by the way, the word Lord here is kuriosa, so it's a correct translation. So if we do a literal translation, it goes something like this, Lord of the armies. Could you say this with me? Lord of the armies. Say it louder, please. Lord of the armies. Do you think that's out of place? I mean, um, if you think about it, why, why use this title? Why use this title against the oppressive rich that he is the Lord of the armies? I think the thought here is, is we need to see God. I mean, God is a compassionate God. God is loving. God is kind. God is generous. But don't forget this. God is also a warrior. Amen? He's the Lord of the host. He is the commander-in-chief. And the idea here is a God who is almighty and all-powerful. A God who has overwhelming might. Now, what is the idea here? The idea here is this should scare us. This should create fear in our hearts that we should not become perpetrators of injustice because if that happens, we are up against the Lord of the armies. We are up against the Almighty God who is all-powerful. And He can just take our lives in a snuff. He could just strike us with lightning. This is the kind of God that we are offending. And yet sometimes people don't fear God. People are not afraid of God. We take advantage of God's graciousness and goodness. And friends, that's not right. And at the same time that it should create fear in the oppressive, on the oppressive rich, it should somehow create comfort for those who are victims of injustice. Amen? If you happen to be a victim of injustice, Know this, our God is an almighty God. Amen. He is the Lord of the armies. Amen. So we are in good hands. So this is the first sin. What's the second sin? Well, living for oneself only, as we find it in verse 5. Verse 5 goes, You have lived luxuriously on the earth, and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Now, first of all, let me just say this. God is not against enjoyment. If you take a look at Timothy, one of the letters of Paul to Timothy, 
it states there that God gives us all things to enjoy. So God is not against enjoyment. God is not against pleasure. Well, let me just tell you this. If that's the only thing you think about, then it has become a God and it has become an idol in your life. And that's not supposed to be the case because as I mentioned to you, the reason why God blesses us is so that the overflow of blessings that we have might be used, number one, for the glory of God, number two, for the extension of His kingdom, number three, for us to share whatever blessings we have to those who have lack and those who have need. That's the purpose of God. So yes, we can enjoy the blessings that God gives to us, but we cannot just be focused on ourselves. We cannot just be thinking about ourselves. We cannot not think about God and others. And this is exactly what happened here. And worse than that, listen well, they were using the money that was supposed to be the pay for their labors. They were spending the money that was supposed to be for the laborers. They were spending it on their wanton pleasures. That is what makes this so evil that they could actually enjoy the money that others have worked hard for. And there is absolutely no conscience here. There is callousness of conscience and indifference to the plight of the common labor. The word luxurious here is also interesting. Literally, it means leading a soft life in comparison to the hard life that these laborers were living. You know, one of the things that that Paul was instructed by the apostles when he met up with them and talked about the gospel and his ministry to the Gentiles He was told by Peter and the rest, do not forget the poor. And I think, friends, that this must be something that must be intentional on our part. One of the things that has really warmed my heart is the fact that one of our outreaches, Living Word IT Park, during last Christmas, they decided that they would reach out to the community because they're in the Lahug area, in the Apas area. And they thought that maybe we should reach out to the poor. So they, they got in touch with the barangay captain and they said that we would like to be a blessing to the poor. And so they, they bought a lot of things, including some appliances. Can you imagine that? They bought some appliances. They, they bought some, some goods. And they went to this barangay and these poor people were lining up and they just felt so much love. They just felt so special at that time. And guess what? The result of that is we now have a Cebuano service in our IT Park Church and they number to already 50 people. Amen? Praise God for that. Uh, That's the kind of heart that God wants. God wants us to to reach out to the poor. The rich many times are indifferent to the poor because they have never experienced poverty. It is only when God brings them to poverty that they will understand what it means to be poor. So I mentioned to you a while ago, sometimes God brings you into a situation and sometimes it's, it's uncomfortable Sometimes it's a situation of lack and inadequacy. Welcome those times because God is educating you. God is teaching you about life. Paul said to the Corinthians that they are to welcome their sufferings. They are to welcome sufferings in their lives because when they suffer, the abundant comfort of God comes upon them. And this abundant comfort that they receive from God is the same comfort that they can now extend to others who are suffering. Sometimes God just opens our eyes. And what opens our eyes sometimes is not blessing. Sometimes what opens our eyes are the trials. 
Sometimes what opens our spiritual eyes are the lack and the inadequacies of our lives. God opens us and we begin to see. We begin to feel. We begin to empathize. We begin to put ourselves in the shoes of other people. And that being the case, we, we change. We become more understanding. We become more compassionate. I recall my mom and my, my wife's mother, my mother-in-law, they were in a restaurant one time. And so they were lining up with the cashier. And of course, they were senior citizens, so they gave their senior citizen's card to the cashier. And the cashier said, Hi, disturbo. And my mother-in-law was thinking, one day, you will become a senior citizen. You know, sometimes people can just be so callous. People can just be so uncaring. But you know what? This should not be happening in church. We should be a caring, loving community. Amen? In the church, people should feel the warmth and the love that is extended because we have been extended the love of God. God has graced us with redemption. God has graced us with salvation. He has forgiven us of all our sins. We are redeemed. Our names are written in the book of life. We have been accepted in the Beloved. We are seated together with Christ in the heavenly places. And the Bible says we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And not only that, our God is our healer. He is our protector. He is our provider. He is every there, every single time. And because we have all of this, we can now be the extensions of God. We can be the hand of God that reaches out to other people. We can be the feet that goes to those neglected people. We are the body of Christ after all. And the body must reflect what the head is. And Christ is the head of the church. Let me tell you why indifference sometimes comes. Sometimes indifference comes as a result of our greed and our selfishness. There was one businessman who was known for his unscrupulous and heartless ways, and he made the confession. He confessed that as a little boy, he cried when he picked up a bird with a broken wing. That's a very tender heart. And this is what he said. He said that he wished he could experience again some of the tender emotion that he had when he was a little boy. But he said that he lost that because of his love for money. He gradually lost the trait of human compassion. That's what greed does. Greed causes you to always look inwardly. Greed always makes you look only at yourself and not look at others and the needs of other people. And what does the Bible have to say? Again, let's, let's read verse 5, please. It says, You have lived luxuriously, on the earth and led a life of want and pleasure, you have fattened your hearts. In what? You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. It sounds like lechon. You know what God is saying? Literally, the word slaughter here means slash the throat. So God is saying to the oppressive rich, this does not escape my notice. If you keep on doing this, this is what's going to happen to you. That's exactly what this means. And we don't want that. We don't want to be fattened 
on a day of slaughter. We don't want to become like pigs that when we're big enough and fat enough, we're going to go to the butcher. Well, God is the divine butcher, and He will butcher you up. And that's a guarantee if you don't care, if you don't love, if you treat the righteous poor unrighteously. Which brings us to the final point in verse 6, the final sin that they committed, which was the oppression of the righteous poor in verse 6. Verse 6 goes, You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Now, such actuations here is like treating these righteous poor as criminals. That's why it's interesting that the word that is used here is condemned. And the word condemned is actually used of criminals. And what it is saying is, you know how you're treating these righteous people? You know how you're treating these righteous poor? You're treating them like criminals. Criminals are supposed to be punished, but you are punishing these people for doing what? You are punishing these people for doing good. They worked your fields, and your fields were vast. They worked vast hectares of land under the heat of the sun. With the, with the rain pouring down on their heads and maybe some of them got sick because of the inclement weather. And then they were just waiting for this, these coins, this little money, so that they could come home and, and bring home some food to their children. And yet you... You did not even delay. You did not even give it to them. So they starved. They became hungry. You know, a word or the phrase put to death here may mean killing his dreams and aspirations for life. Or it may mean living so close to death because of hunger. You know, the Life Application Bible has some interesting notes about this also. And let me just read this to you. I quote, Innocent men were defenseless persons, probably poor laborers. Poor people who could not pay their debts were thrown into prison or forced to sell all their family members into slavery. With no opportunity to work off their debts, Poor people often died of starvation. So we're, we're, we're probably talking about some people really dying here. Some people really died. God called this murder, hoarding money, exploiting employees, and living self-indulgently will not escape God's notice. Another possibility here, according to Hebert's commentary on James, is that the rich actually hold these poor people into court. Can you imagine that? I don't know, for some reason, probably these poor people were pestering them and saying, you need to pay up, my family's hungry. And because they, they were being pestered, they wanted to get rid of them. And guess what they do? They, they, they bring them to court. And we know that even now and even at that time, there were some unjust judges. I recall somebody saying to somebody, Kanang piskal ni mo? 3,000 pesos lang na. Of course, not everybody's like that. But you and I know some judges can be bought. And most probably, in this particular case, not only, did they, con not only they, did they withhold the pay of these labors, they even controlled these judges who obviously ruled in their favor. This, this, was, really, this was really unjust. And yet, and yet here's, here's, here's the, the thing that really should, should 
open our eyes. Notice verse 6. It says, You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He, the righteous man, does not resist you. What does that tell us? This righteous man, because of this injustice, does not put justice in his own hands, but rather he lays his own life before the presence of God, and he trusts God who says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Amen? And we can be sure that God is a God of justice. Amen? He is the God of justice. So let me just close by saying this. Money is supposed to be our slave, not our God. How we handle our money speaks bundles about our relationship with God and about what is the real treasure in our hearts. This, I believe, is really the reason why tithing was instituted in the Old Testament and why in the New Testament we should be grace givers, meaning to say we should be giving more than our Old Testament believers are giving. The reason is this. God is testing our hearts. I was telling the worship team, Everything that happens to us is a test. Whether good or bad, whether blessing or trial, it's a test. And God is watching. He is watching how you respond to that test. He is watching how you respond to a circumstance. He is watching you what you are going to do with blessing and with trial. And that's why, friends, one of the tests that God gives to us is whether we are willing to part with just a very small portion of what God actually gives to us. When David was giving so generously for the building of the temple, he said to God that everything he was giving to God came from the hand of God. And that is so true. Yet how many times, my dear brothers and sisters, do we withhold what is actually due to God Himself? God is testing us. Let me tell you this. Jesus said this. Jesus never minced words. He said, you cannot serve God and mammon. Meaning to say, if your God is God, then God is God. And if your money is God, then that is what you really worship. Meaning to say, if you worship money, you don't really have a relationship with God. Ouch. That's painful. Well, let me tell you, I need to tell you that. Because this passage is talking about judgment. And it's not just talking about temporal laws. Remember our sermon last weekend? It's talking about eternal judgment. And I have a responsibility to speak to you and tell you exactly as it is. I'm only a messenger. I'm really good for nothing. The only good that I can produce for you is speak the truth. And that is my role and my duty. And some of the things that I will say to you are not pleasant. It's going to be discomfitting for some of you. But then again, if your heart is open to God, then you will respond in a proper way. So let me end with a question. What kind of a rich do you want to be? Do you want to be rich, rich? Or do you want to be poor, rich? The choice is yours. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you. Thank you for your word. 
And thank you, Lord, for setting straight our perspective on riches. And so our prayer, O God, is that your conviction will be upon every heart and every mind. Lord, with the blessings that you give to us, we pray that we might prove ourselves as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We pray, O Lord, that your word will not return to you null and void, but that it might accomplish the very purpose by which you have sent it for. Lord, thank you. Thank you for today, and thank you for the opportunity to give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings. Lord, we want to worship you and bless you. And whatever has been accomplished today, we give you back all the glory, all the praises, and all the thanks. In Jesus' blessed name, we pray. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand, please.